Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The nonconformist oath. I promise to be different. I promise to be unique. I promise not to repeat things other people say. Welcome to another episode of Positive Blatherings with Fitz. It's me, Fitz, and I have in studio today Edward Monahan. Do you mind if I call you Ed or Edward, or how do you go by? Ed is fantastic. Ed Thank is you. fantastic. Ed is fantastic. He is a uh, photo industry consultant. You now work for yourself. I do. But you worked for, how many years did you work for Kodak? Worked for the Eastman Kodak Company for 31, and worked for Kodak Alaris that followed that for another four, so 35 years in totality. Wow. What is the first thing that I wanted to ask you, because I've never been with a company, long, 10 years is the longest I've ever been with a company, and that wasn't even all in a row. So <laughs> so what what is it like being with a company for that long, for over 30 years? You know, that's a great question, and I'm not sure I have a context to give because I wasn't with any other companies, but um, it, it's interesting. I think my generation, I'm 59, my generation set out to hire on with a company and stay with it for the rest of your life. You know, yeah. You're grandfathered or tenured into it. I think the millennials of today are much more active in moving every three to five years. Uh, there's certainly a sense of security. There's a sense of equity. To, to be very candid, I think with Kodak, what happened was the way the pension plan was set up, you didn't accrue most of the value of your pension until the 26th to 30th year. So you were motivated to stay at least 25 years. It was very paternal. Um, and I think, again, the big thing is you became comfortable you knew the people, you knew the protocols, you knew the environment. But um, I have often thought that, Scott, that what would it have been like to have moved every five years or worked for five different companies in 35 years? Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I, I know what I know, and it was a, it was a great ride for me, really great ride. I, you know, I can, see, I can see the allure of both sides, really. Um, the, the Just being with the, the security of being with a company. Because I, I worked for Carnival Cruise Lines. Uh, my first, you know, real professional job. And at that time, they had an incentive. If you stayed, if you worked 10 years, you got a $10,000 bonus. Wow. They didn't have that for me. <laughs> and I I left after four years, but then came back and then left and came back. It's a long story. You don't want to hear it. But um, I never, you know, when the 10th year came past me and I was there, but I hadn't worked ten full, you know, years right. in a row. I thought to myself, I was like, man, if if I had just put my head down and sucked it up, I would have ten thousand dollars in hand right now. Yes. Um. But it's easier in hindsight to think that way. Yeah. Because at the time, I was going through. A, it was a really, really tough, mentally tough 
a difficult job, very challenging for me to like to do it. Yeah. And so I had to move on. Yeah, I think for me too, the other thing, being in a company like Kodak that at its heyday employed well over 100,000 people, you actually saw different parts of the company. It was like being in different companies. There was a consumer packaged goods. There was the film and paper business. There was thermal business. There was copiers. There was all kinds of things. And so even though you're technically within the same corporate structure for that 35-year period, your experiences really were like being in different companies, mm-hmm. you different parts of the world and so forth. But uh, yeah, I get asked that a lot, you know, especially by younger generation. You know, what's it like to have been in a company for 35 years? You know, what was wrong with you? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the way it's That's funny. What was wrong with you? Um, what would you say overall was your the? I, I, this is kind of a hard question, but if there is one thing that you you can really take out of your experience at Kodak, yeah, that's a, another great question. I, I, that's an easy question. It's people. Um, when I would go to trade shows in the '90s, every one of our competitors would rush privately to give us resumes. Everyone wanted to work for Kodak. Kodak hmm. was a recognized brand. It was an international icon. And for some reason, I started in 1982, it hired tremendous people. They weren't just competent, they were good people. I've always said about the brand, it, it attracted a, a type of person who was generally down to earth and good, uh, high moral fiber, high, you know, strong character. I think for me, honestly, Scott, the, the, the single takeaway was it was a chance to work for 35 years with the best people, the really best people. Um, and as they say, it was noteworthy how many times competitors would come to us and try to get into the Eastman Kodak. Company. Yeah. Yeah, it was just great. Uh, the other thing I'd say is international travel. I mean, I gotta, I'm a golfer, and I can say that because of Kodak, I've played golf on three continents. Nice. Uh, I've uh, visited countries that I never would have gone to on a personal level. And you meet people, again, all over the world. You, you really get exposed to the world on a global level. You realize it's more than Rochester. It's more than the United States. There are people in all walks of life, in all parts of the world, and they deal with many of the same problems that we deal with here. Uh, so while cultures are different, they're actually very similar as well. I, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I found the same thing working for the cruise line. I got to go all oh, over sure. the world. Yeah. Um, still a couple of places I didn't get to go that I wanted to, but I'm not complaining because, uh, like you said, I got to meet people that I would have never met. And I found that, you know, especially today, I, I, I really feel like more people should should get outside of their comfort zone. And that means traveling to another culture and yeah. experiencing that. Because when when you do get down to the brass tacks, we all have the same struggles and the same worries and the same thing. You know, you worry about your kids, you worry about this, you worry about that. Yeah. And it's all the same. It goes down to a human level. Yes. Um, and, and it really, it really surpasses everything else. Everything else sort of just melts away. Yeah. That's a great point. You realize that all over the world, there are differences, but there are similarities and yeah. similarities are the same. Managing your marriage, managing your faith, managing your children, managing your career, uh, fixing your house, uh, People bleed all over the world. People cry all over the world. People laugh all over the world. Um, and it is interesting. We lose sight of that sometimes. You know, there's these cultural conflicts that I think we we forget we're all human. We all have needs. We all have wants. And we're all trying to do the same thing. So now you, going back to your time at Kodak and then to what you do now, you you mentioned trade shows. And you've you've made a couple of references off the mic before we started about walking around on stage with a microphone and, and that kind of stuff. So public speaking yes. seems to be your thing. Yeah, I had an opportunity probably 20 years ago to begin presenting the, the, the transition to digital. 
and it was in front of audiences that numbered 100 to 300 people, and uh, it was very educational. The digital evolution or revolution was new, and there weren't many experts in the field, and so you sort of build a reputation. Um, the joy of public speaking is obviously in itself the moment of, of, of being in front of an audience and getting a response and a reaction. I have a funny story. We have time about being in a conference room by myself at 7 o'clock because of technology uh, failing, and I couldn't get to a trade show that I was supposed to speak at, and I'll do this very real quick. We were stuck in Buffalo for almost two days, could not get to Las Vegas to do a trade show, and we were driving <laughs> back from Buffalo about 7 o'clock at night, my colleague and I, Chris Van Zandt, and the coordinator who wanted me to speak in front of a few hundred people, I was the keynote speaker, called me and said, you know, you've been preaching this digital theory for years, and anytime, anywhere, access, and real-time, all-the-time connectivity, et cetera, et cetera. He goes, you can't be here physically, but we can dial you in. So I ended up, because of the time difference, being in a conference room at Kodak at 7 o'clock at night by myself. And it was the first time, Scott, that I spoke in front of nobody. And you're giving this speech, and you're trying to inflect and be passionate, and you have no dynamic. There's no body language. There's no personal contact with yeah. the audience. In fact, I think I said a couple of times, you know, for all I know, the whole audience has left the room, and there's the water boys cleaning up the, the tables. And people started texting me, no, 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 you're doing great, you're doing great. But I finished every speech, and you kind of have your closing moment, your aha moment, and you just leave it out there, you know, drop the mic, and um, there's a usually a standing ovation or round of applause that acknowledge you. Sometimes it's just polite. Yeah. I think it's a result of your quality of your presentation. But I finished with my, my salvo, my drop the mic, and there was no body language. There was no reaction and everything. And, and I said, it once again, is there anyone who's still in the room? <laughs> so, but yeah, I've been public speaking since probably 1990. Well, probably eighty nine, ninety in the industry, um, digital transformation. I am kind of a recognized expert in millennial behavior, uh, propensity to purchase, especially at the portrait world, and get asked frequently to come out and speak. I speak at a conference every year in Las Vegas called SPAC, which is a school and sports um, professional market uh, trade association. So portrait, you mean portrait f- Portrait pictures? Yeah. Okay. My experience is both consumer and professional, although I'm currently consulting to largely the professional industry. So people who take wedding photography for a living, I tend to work more with the labs who produce the finished prints, photo products, okay. uh, metal prints, and all the, the cool stuff that's happening in, in photography today. Um, but I, I have found that, you know, for me, I always say I'd like to inform and influence, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to leave a mark on people that when they hear me speak, they'll say, I walked away knowing something I didn't know before we started. And it's transformational. It isn't just a, a piece of information. Um, inform and inspire is what I was going to say. I, I really look to inform people with new information that inspires them. You know, the digital evolution has hurt Eastman Kodak. We went through bankruptcy. Um, it's hurt a lot of companies, but there are still pockets of opportunity and the willingness to Yield to technology and to change and to transform your business is still very opportunistic. And so the opportunity to speak on behalf of the industry, what's changing, what are the behavioral changes that at a consumption level are, uh, are being driven by millennials and so forth. So, so yeah, I've been speaking for a while, and as you can tell, not shutting up here. <laughs> speak quite a bit. <laughs> as I still do. It's funny that you say that because uh, that's a perfect segue. I was going to ask you, how, does your, how did your profession in public speaking how did that translate to your home life? Now, how many kids do you have? Four. You have four kids. Four young adults. Four young adults. Well, now, yeah, they were kids. Seven. Yeah, they yeah. were kids at one time. So, and and I can I can imagine that there were times where they I don't I can't imagine that they got to argue with you too much. Uh, I did. mean, they probably did, but they didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> they actually became better arguers. Oh, well, yeah. They 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 learned the logic trail that uh, at times. You, 
was irrefutable. It was inconsistent with parenting uh, desires or behavioral modification, but yet you'd look back and say, that was a very logical argument that they made. Um, no, I, I get told by my wife to shut up all the time, or <laughs> at least give her a chance to speak, right. talk over her. Um, and it's hard because when you have a passion for a topic, you you, you get into an overdrive mode. You yeah. just get going, and uh, especially when you're speaking to an audience and you're feeling their energy and their responsiveness and that they're with you. Um, you can obviously tell I speak very quickly, which is another habit I'm trying to reduce the baud rate at which my uh, oration goes at. But uh, yeah, the kids the kids have learned a lot. Um, to your question, they're willing to argue if they believe in something, and I'm really proud of them for that. It's um, you know, Dad may have been an autocratic dictator as opposed to a democracy in the Monahan household, but um, in the end, they've learned to defend what they believe in and to stand up for what they believe in, and and. Uh, of varying degrees of articulation skills and capabilities. And I, it's, I think it's a lost art. Oh, it is. And uh, in fact, it's, it's because it comes easy to me and I enjoy it. I always marvel at people who are intimidated by public speaking. And I, I respect that. I do understand that getting up in front of a few hundred people can be nerve wracking. Um, my daughter Kelly has been speaking publicly for probably close to a decade, spoke recently in Dubai, as I was telling you, London uh, has been invited to a Ted talk. She gets nervous, and you would never know it when you actually see her in front of the audience. But as she has experienced, and I have too, there is an apprehension and a fear that comes over you as you step onto the, to the stage and you go to the podium. And within a minute or two, it, it just happens. You just get into that role. And, and I'm sure you've experienced it in your vocation that you just become comfortable. You know where the next step is going to go. And, uh, and she's, she's clearly demonstrated that. That's, uh, that's really amazing in the way that the one thing that this podcast, uh, a theme that I've had is mentorship. Mm. Mentorship, I, I believe is just such a, a, a hugely important aspect to anyone's career, you know, story arc, yeah, if you will. And I can see that you were most likely a big mentor to your kids, even if maybe at the time they might not have admitted to it, yeah. you know, it's certain phrase, but I mean, think about what you were just talking about your daughter speaking in Dubai, speaking in London, going, you know, a Ted talk and all that kind of stuff. It's the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. And, and all of them in their own way have achieved a level of status, but, um, but you're right about mentoring Scott. That's a really, we could talk all day about that. I would dare say that anyone who has achieved the pinnacle of success will point back at mentors, people who along their career path, or life path, um, and they can be life mentors as well. Uh, their experience and wisdom imparted, um, that, that's a great point. I'm very fortunate, and as we talked on the phone that one day, uh, I'm very fortunate to have been mentored throughout my career. Kodak was phenomenal at providing mentors, uh, both formally and informally. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had life mentors, and, and now would like to do the same to give back. Um, and, and, and when I speak publicly, part of that is mentoring. You're mentoring your audience. You're, you're trying to share information you have and insights you have in a way that's applicable to them. Uh, you know, raw data is raw data, but the interpretation and the informing of what the data says to do differently or do more of the same is, is a form of mentoring. And um, I, I agree with you. I think that anyone who's got a career path that's had a, a level of success will be able to identify people along the way who gave them insight and inspiration towards them. How would you say that... Um positive thinking, positive mental attitude. Cause in my, cause I've done public speaking, I'm in radio. So mm -hmm. I've had to get in front of a crowd with a microphone and 
normally I'm in a room by myself and I'm saying stuff. I know it's going out over the air, but I can't see them. So it's just like when you're in the conference room, right? Yeah. Um, But when you do get in front of people, you have, you kind of have to psych yourself up for it and you could have a bad experience and that could send you spiraling downward. Um, How has keeping a, or a better question, how have you, turned yourself around from bad experiences, bad public speaking engagements, bad experiences in your job, and how have you, what methods do you use to like turn yourself around and stay on the positive side? Yeah, I wish I could say I hadn't had those experiences. Like, right. It's your question, but we all have had them. Um, I think it's like they say about an athlete, you have to have a short memory. You, you, you really can't dwell. I, I, I learn from a mentor, and I say it to people that I mentor, you're never as good as they say you are, and you're never as bad as they say you are. You're mm-hmm. somewhere in between. I love you've it. Got to, you've got to yeah. remember that because when they're praising you, you're not that good. And when they're c- condemning you, you're not that bad. Um, short memory, I, I think keeping it in perspective, I, I think using it as a learning. The thing I, when I did mentor my children, I've always tried to teach them the first time you do something incorrectly is not a mistake. It's part of your learning curve. And the second time is, is an additional learning. By the third or fourth time, we have a learning problem or a learning disability. <laughs> but, you know, keeping it in perspective, um, what can I take away from this? What can I learn from this? You know, personally, I think there's always a motivation to want to redeem yourself. Um, if you're a golfer and you've hit a bad shot on a particular hole, you can't wait for the next <laughs> time to, to hit a better shot to, sh- to convince yourself you can do it. But I, I think it's um, self-learning and, 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 and self-deprecating, being able to understand, you know, you're not perfect every time. In fact, you're not perfect a lot of the time. The other thing, Scott, that's interesting is what constitutes a bad experience in many cases, your feedback mechanism is actually very positive, but you yourself had a self-expectation. I wanted to achieve a certain level of transformation or learning, or I wanted to make certain points, and I didn't have my notes well organized. Right. I, I think, again, most of us would say we're harder on ourselves than the audience has been on that. But, um, but to your question, I, I think it's have a short memory, keep it in balance and perspective, and, and really use it as a learning experience. You know, what can I take away to be better and stronger next time? I had a mentor also tell me, you know, you don't learn very much when you're doing well. It's when you're not doing well you learn a lot. And I think that that, that has stuck with me. Now, you'd like to not have to do poorly all the time to become a better learner. <laughs> right. right. Hit me with a 2 by 4 not a 2 by 10 so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, when, you, when you first got married, yep. um, how would you say – you applied did well let's say did you apply what you learned what you were doing in work to your to your relationship or were they like did they never cross paths you know what i mean yeah i do and that's another great question i think you know being 24 when i got married my wife was 27 you're young you're stupid you're brash you're idealistic you 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 think you know more than you really later discover you know um i i think that there was probably not as much overlap between the work experiences and attitudes as you did it in terms of your home life. I would definitely say in the last 20 years, and I've been married for 35, um, be 35 this year, so 34. It's interesting to me to to look at your question and think about the last 20 years, the last 10 years. Um, You mature at work. And and the other thing I was talking to a, a client the other day, and I have so much respect for him, Patience. You know, we, we, we never have enough patience when we're young. And, yeah. and we, those that, again, mature, develop that patience. I think that the, um, 
But the other part of your question is interesting is I know my wife, Karen, would, would argue, don't treat me like an employee. Don't treat me like a co-worker. I'm your wife. You know, there's a stature or standing that we have relationally that's different because of that. Um, so I, I, I think that you, you, you try to apply from work a level of patience and maturity, uh, a level of the way you respect the other individuals. And that's something that Kodak really stressed and I think was uh, very strong at, respecting other individuals and, and truly respecting them. I mean, it's one thing to be outwardly showing signs of behavior towards them, but to truly respect them. And I think that's something she and I talk about all the time. If, if I have taken anything from work into my marriage, it's really respecting my wife the way you respect people at work and should respect them all equally. That's a good answer. No, <laughs> That's a really you. good answer. And you should play this podcast for her. Yeah. So she, see if she agrees. No. I'm sure she'll want to listen. <laughs> so now that you're, do you like working for your, being your own boss? Oh, I love it. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of a silly question because yeah. of course you do, but. Well, it's being your own boss and the type of work I'm doing, you know, and I would never say anything but praise for Kodak. Uh, it, it treated me wonderful. It was an amazing ride for 35 years. Uh, it was a company that, in fact, when, when, I, when I talk, one of the phrases that I'll use, I'll say, never in the history of business has there been a product-like film at a margin level. Uh, with three exceptions. The three exceptions that were as profitable as film were Michael Jordan sneakers, perfume, and cocaine. <laughs> and, and, and so there, 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 there was a situation where just the sheer amount of cash the company generated that it provided a, a way of life and a culture. And as I said, it hired the, 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 the very best people um, to, to, to really come and work for Kodak. But, uh, you know, what I'll say in, in, in light of all that good, there were – one third of things they did at Kodak I loved. I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and go back at it. Uh, I'd say a third of the things that were in that category. A third I liked. I mean, I enjoyed it. it. It didn't necessarily wake me up in the middle of the night, but I enjoyed it. And a third was the typical corporate drudgery. You just had to do it. I'm finding in the consulting field, um, I'm able to do that first third all the time. It's doing the things that I love to do. It gets back to mentoring companies, helping people see the solution when others are still trying to define the problem. Um, thinking more strategically, and, and more than anything, letting data and analytics drive your thought process. You know, most small businesses, which I support, are guilty of, you know, being emotionally driven and, and, and controlled by one or two proprietors. And so their opinions or their biases influence a lot of the business processes and strategies. To offer them alternative ways to see the world and to see the company and the markets that they're serving has been very enjoyable. So. That's got to be a challenge, too. Oh, it's a huge challenge. <laughs> You're dealing a with a lot of factors to yeah. try to sway them to say, hey, hey, you know. And back to your previous question, what do you do when you're not right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but I think being your own boss is fun. Uh, working from home is something I had never experienced was exciting. Um, your day is very different. Uh, and in an interesting way, you're so efficient. You know, I typically start at quarter to seven, seven. By 12 o'clock for lunch break, I feel like I've worked two full days you know, because you just don't have that social engagement, that social interaction. Um, I travel to visit clients often enough that I get the social currency that I need to maintain my balance in life. But, um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And, and, and being laid off or being downsized or whatever the corporate term is in, in August of 2017, you know, had a moment of just – and it's, it's interesting, Scott. What ended up happening was you're frustrated because your journey has come to an end. You're frustrated because the things you wanted to accomplish have not been accomplished. You're scared because you're not sure there's a future. Um, and everyone, the cliche comes, you're going to do fine. There's life after Kodak. And, and there is. Um, there's a great life at Kodak, and there's a life after Kodak. And uh, 
but it's a different life. It's it's very especially being a self-employed. Um, we won't get into it, but I you know, learned to pay FICA at twelve percent, not six percent. Got to buy my own insurance. <laughs> so there are a lot of other challenges to being self-employed. But um, all in all, if I, I'll I'll leave it with this: if I knew five years ago what I know now, I may have jumped a little sooner. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah, I've heard that, but that's a tough jump. That's that's a tough leap to, well, to take. You know, and it's funny because people will say, "Why did you stay with Kodak Alaris when it moved from Kodak?" And I, I think most of us who stayed wanted to make a difference. We really felt the brand could be reinvigorated. We really felt the company could pick itself up, and and enter new markets with new ways of doing business. Uh, unfortunately, when Kodak Alaris spun out of Kodak, and I've said this to to most people. The ills that plagued Kodak were still there plaguing Kodak Alaris. You know, nothing had changed except ownership, right? There had been a change of control. But other than that, the, the products, the services, the consumers, the consumption models, the channels, they were all the ones that weren't working in, you know, a year before bankruptcy. They weren't working a year after bankruptcy. Right. Um, and Kodak Alaris has done an amazing job of navigating in the last four or five years, well, 13, six years, to sustain itself in the marketplace, in a very challenging marketplace. So what do you think uh, five years from now you'll be doing? What, what's in your Well, that's another really your goals. Point. You've done this before, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, we talk about retirement. Uh, I'm 59, five years, I'm 64. Based on what it costs to buy insurance, Medicare looks really good at <laughs> 65. My wife will be there a few years before me. Um, but to be honest with you, I love what I do, uh, even if I was doing it part-time. And mm-hmm. my wife and I talked about that. You know, I, I work four and a half weeks and a month, more, more weeks than there are in the month, um, and love every minute of it. Travel quite a bit. I could see less travel, more home office type work, more analytical work. Uh, I'd like to give back for all that has been given to me. Uh, when I first left Kodak, I w- worked or looked at working at RIT and some other people who were mentoring me in that capacity, trying to find a new job. Uh, work for a nonprofit, um, Work for a church ministry, you know, so, something that, again, is rewarding and fulfilling at an individual level, but rewarding because it gives back to society. It gives back and makes, what, are they, what do they call it, pay forward, you know, when you go. Pay to, it forward. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, could see, I could see doing what I'm doing on a lesser basis, maybe less travel, and I could also see supplementing what I'm doing with, with contributing to an educational facility or not-for-profit, you know, leveraging the skills that I've uh, built over the years towards some of those things. I like your the theme that you've had throughout this our discussion our conversation has been giving back has has weaved its way through our whole conversation today you you really hold giving back in, in a high regard I, I really uh, yeah thank like, you it's amazing I, I think it's because of what happened in August of 2017 you know there's that first few weeks where you don't know if you're going to ever be employed again yeah and it's not that you don't have confidence you're just realistic you're a certain age in the in a job market that's looking for younger talent. You're expecting a certain salary level. Um, you're, you're in the Rochester area, which has finite you know, opportunity. And honestly, Scott, the number of people that I knew casually who extended themselves was just amazing to me. Um, I mean, without exception, the, the people that I network with to try to find a career path uh, or a place of employment were phenomenal. And it, it exposes you to you're, – you're fortunate and blessed to have had that. You ought to give it back if you can. Um, in fact, I had a couple of the RIT people say – Probably from a career standpoint, the salary structure won't be consistent and you're, you're not a Ph.D. candidate or a Ph.D. degree, so you're not going to become a tenured professor. But, boy, when you retire and you've got a few hours a week that you want to give back to students as an entrepreneurial class, come in and sit as a coach, um, 
And that intrigues me. And so when you ask what you'll be doing in five years, I'd, I'd like to believe that if I'm not working at the same level I am today, I'm, I'm doing as many hours but giving more back to the, to the people who need it and, 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 and respectfully reflect on what was given to me in the last five years. And my last question that I like to ask people, how can people get a hold of you if they want your services? I don't know how many would need your exact because it's very specific, yeah. but who knows? Well, you could connect with me on LinkedIn, yep. um, for sure, uh, edward.monahan. Um, they could email me, uh, which they'd find my email on, on um, LinkedIn. Uh, but, yeah, I'd love to feel that this leads to somebody needing some help. And as I say, even if it wasn't in the photographic industry, if it was a chance to be, begin the journey of giving back to people as as a result of what's been given to me. I'd like to do something like that. Well, I know that uh, folks listening to this podcast or, or watching it on Facebook or YouTube will definitely get a lot out of it. I really appreciate you spending time with me this afternoon. It's been, it's been enlightening and a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. I enjoyed it as well. true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.